welcome. Welcome to the Connector Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I am your host. This week, I'm joined by a special guest, Timmy Ibekwe, who is the founder of a fast-growing tech PR and marketing consulting company in Lagos called Filiad and Partners Limited. And in this episode, we unpacked her journey, how she moved from a background in statistics to establishing Filial and Partners, obstacles she faced, and really unpacking the importance of PR and communications for family businesses, thoughts on reputation management and separation of personal brand versus corporate brands. So enjoy and share the love, share within your networks. Thanks. Hi, Timmy. Welcome to Connected Generation. It's awesome to have you today. Hello. Hi, Nike. Thanks for having me on the show. I've listened to a few of those episodes and honestly, they've been mind-blowing. They've been more importantly enlightening. So I feel Uh, honored to be one of the guests on the show today. Awesome. No, no. I'm honored that you are a guest. It's the guests that make the show, honestly. So... You are a founder of Fillion and Partners. How did you end up here? Okay, so the firm is about three years. We're going to be three precisely in June, relatively. I've been in the industry, in the strategic comms industry for about 10 years. And it's an industry I stumbled on because while in school, I did statistics, you know, so I did. Really? (laughs) Wow. Yeah, but I'd always been this, I was that social science student who would read a lot of novels, who'd, you know, engage the lecturer in some thoughts, you know, process and probably challenge a few of the theories that they teach in school. I enjoyed philosophy a lot and all of those things. And I think soon enough, my teammates realized, oh, I was this inclined in some publicity and social. And so when things like that come up in school, they would always push me to it. And then Fast forward, mm. final year, I did something related to marketing. And then I was exposed to the fact that, oh, you could actually, because this comes to you naturally, you could actually do this for real as a career. And so I just pursued that part. I also had a sister who, at the time during the holidays, whenever I went back, she would always, you know, she graduated from a school in Lagos, first class public relations and advertising. And she was this person who always challenged the old notebooks that they had because she would always read about things going on in the PR space and then she would go back and query something. So I found that really interesting. I didn't know unconsciously I was imbibing some of those things. But basically, starting off in the industry, working with, so I've worked with about three different agencies. What I realized at the time, two things for me, two critical things, Mm. very few female leadership very few female owners or founders, so to speak. They were literally non existent well, Of the agencies? Agencies in the industry. Interesting. Hmm. At the time, 10 years back, there were very few founders, maybe two. Wow. Nkechi, Alibalogo, and Sesima. I can't even remember the name right now, PL, but I mean, those firms are still existing. Hmm. And in most of the agencies as well, at the leadership level, there weren't too many females. But mm. I didn't see that as a challenge. I just thought like, okay, maybe more women are just not participating. I didn't see it like there was an opportunity for them or the, mm. you know, the leadership wasn't giving them a chance to actually step up. So I made up a mind. 
personally, I was like, okay, I'm going to actually start up a firm within the sector to represent females. At the time, even when we started out year one, year two, we didn't have any male employees at all. It was always wow. if we were to take interviews and then the female and male showed up, I would always sort of give preference to the females. So that one was there. And then the second thing that led me to starting Billion after, because my previous job was I rose through the ranks, you know, working from um, client service executive till I became a strategy manager to the PR agency. And then I became marketing manager for a consumer brand. Then for me, working on the consumer brand, it was like working on just one particular, you know, just one product. I wanted to be able to serve different variety of products. I think I found that that's what gave me like the excitement and the passion mm-hmm. for the job. And then we also wanted to be able to do campaigns differently. What you see is what when people hear PR, it was a little bit of a mystery. What do you guys really do? Or is it just putting people on TV and then putting newspaper articles on there? It's actually mm-hmm. a strategic process, you know, that needs to sit in the boardroom with executive leadership to advise them on reputation and brand positioning and also campaigns. But recently, we've gotten to see a lot of those PR-led type campaigns that actually tell stories. So those were the two reasons why I wanted to start something that people within the creative sector can join, females within the creative mm. sector can work in and then help brands build something that is outside of tier sheets and media mentions. That's really incredible. So along that journey of establishing your agency, what obstacles did you face? Ah, that's interesting. (laughs) Apart from infrastructure, of course, trying to hire the right talent, people who join the startup with the mind of, Mm. because these days you have the physiological needs, taking priority priority of Mm. passion and how Mm. much, you know, even though most of these people sometimes what they bring to the table is not commensurate with what they're asking for. But those are just like basic challenges in my own case. What for me were major challenges were issues where you find the experienced firm or the sorry, the large, mid to large enterprises whom you probably have shared a proposal, a solid proposal. It's clear that these are like winning ideas and all of that. But then at some point you find someone who asks you, okay, how many clients like us have you had to deal with? How many years of experience do you have as a firm? Mm-hmm. It's regarding all the contributions that I've had to make within the agencies leading up to where I was at the time in 2017. But this was very peculiar to the indigenous firms, the multinational mm. firms or the international brands didn't care how many years, as long as you're able to prove and show capacity to be able to execute and drive results to give you a chance. So yes, we started off. As a matter of fact, one of the firms that took a chance, no, I wouldn't say took a chance. They just liked the ideas and they didn't bother asking what your track record were. But they had, I mean, I had the track record. If it's in terms of my contributions to the agencies or the places mm-hmm. I worked in, I had that. But then it was more about, we like the fact that you're young, you're flexible, you can work with us. One of those firms I need to mention here is Hilly Parker, the Enterprise. Mm, so at mm. the time in 2017, we did a lot of work for them. We're still working for them till now. So that's whole this young girl, you do have older people on the board. You have older partners and things like that. And I think perhaps it's a Nigerian. I'm not sure yet if it's a Nigerian thing, but I didn't let that. I think it is. <laughs> I think it is for sure. Then there's the issue of 
you or maybe in some firms people wanting you to have a leg quote unquote like know someone Mm-hmm. So, so starting off, it was a bit challenging because it was a case of if you didn't have someone in-house, regardless of the things that you had to share, no one was going to give you the opportunity. But thankfully, looking at some of the things that we've had to, some of our success scorecards and things like that, now firms are beginning to open up. So those mm-hmm. were the two major challenges starting off. Incredible. You mentioned something about moving, your vision for the firm was to move away from media mentions. Into kind of like more strategic. You mentioned repetition management and you mentioned exec communications. Did I hear you right? Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. So, supporting and advising the board, taking reputation as important as the business goal itself. Yes. That's really important. And just on that, how can family businesses move away from being quite reactive to being quite intentional and seeing PR as a strategic and, you know, to achieve their business goals? I think I was doing my study on family businesses generally, what makes them thrive, you know, mm-hmm. and even locally. I think the advantage of family businesses is the fact that there is like a value or set of values or stories that is passed on from generation to generation. Hopefully, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you're able to find capable hands within the next gen to actually then transcend. But what I've also studied is mm-hmm. sometimes there is a gap in mm-hmm. that communication. You need to be able to inspire the vision, why mm-hmm. the founder started. And then you need to be able to pass this truth on through generations, as well as the values that held. Because I feel that if the generations understand why we started, where we are coming from, it will inform some of the decisions and actions that we'll take. Mm. Uh, one of the things that you also find is that the next gen might be interested in something else that is entirely different from what the founders or generations mm-hmm. before had started. Communication also helps to bridge that gap because Sometimes, and I think I'm going to come to it maybe later on, you find that even if they move away, even if they, I don't want to say deviate, as long as they are grounded within the truth of why the business started, and then they also share the values, the family business values, whatever it is that they venture into will somehow tie back, you know, in a way that it adds or consolidates what the businesses already have. Mm-hmm. I also think, coming from the PR perspective, sometimes the brands are woven around one person. You know, maybe the yep. partner or mm-hmm. the chairperson, you know, and then that's the person, that's the face of the brand. Whereas there are people who have also, maybe within the family, it could be extended, uncles, mm-hmm. aunties, cousins, siblings, who have also contributed or who have the capability to also drive the business to the next level. But everyone has gotten to fall in love with this person in a way that when the person is no more or maybe not no more, maybe resigns from the job it then or from the business, it then looks like, oh no, this business is taking it downhill. So one of the things that PR can help or how family businesses can take advantage of strategic communication is to, in some case, or as much as possible, separate the personal brand of maybe the founder or the leader from the product or service brand. So the product or service will exist, you know, telling you know, the values, why we started it, this is why we do what we do. Then the personalities are different. So build stories around, individualize all of the contributors within the family. 
and show their strengths, tell stories around their strengths. It's interesting to see that. I think I was in my study as well. I realized that I saw that the U.S., for instance, family businesses account for about 64% of their mm-hmm. revenue within the mm-hmm. year. Family-owned businesses. And I think Asian countries also do that well. You see how, you know, they pass on. I could name names, you know, and all of that. How they pass on from one gen to another and all of that. I think that if family businesses can take advantage of the storytelling, building stories around the individuals, but still holding on to the values that are shared amongst them, as mm. well as separating the product, product or service from the larger than life personal brand that people come to love. Then even mm. those people don't, the next gen perhaps wouldn't feel too awkward trying to fill in someone mm. else's shoes, but they can pursue their own path. You brought up very, very important points on enmeshment of business and found that like this kind of blurriness of identity. And you said to separate the identities, the brand identities, because really when you have this blur, it leaves the business very vulnerable to attack in terms of reputation management. What are your thoughts on how family businesses can deal with this or even better prevent such kind of reputational issues? Well, I'm not sure. I didn't get that. I'm not clear on that question. You were mentioning that quite often the brand is built around the founder, right? The central person and doesn't take into consideration the image, the branding of other family members that are contributing towards the business. And then you also mentioned that there's need to separate the product brand or the service brand of the business from the individual's brand. I was saying that is a very important point because this blurriness of the two brands, what happens is in our own climb where there's a lot of political attack. If your company brand is literally your personal brand, if someone attacks your personal brand, they're essentially attacking you and it has huge devastating effects. And so my question is, what are your thoughts on how families can prevent this kind of situation or how can they create separate identities for personal, whether it's the executives of the firm or non-executives, and company what steps can they take to deal with this okay that's interesting because like you had mentioned right the business is always always different from the individual the individual is never the business Mm -hmm. well i think in our climb as well and over the years it's always been the business and the personality or the founder or that Mm -hmm. individual who's like the face of the business it's almost like they are one and then Mm -hmm. people tend to tie you know, oh, that's him now, the founder of that. He's the one who started that business. Even though sometimes when you talk about share, actually when they go public, right? Sometimes this larger than life brand is probably not even biggest shareholder of the firm. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So my thoughts would be, I think presently family-owned businesses are not taking advantage of public relations. They're not taking advantage of strategic communications because what PR seeks to do is to build relationships, right? So we understand who are the target audiences for this business. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we bridge? How do we connect with them? Building relationships. So for instance, if a business exists within the community, what are the mm-hmm. things that we as a business can do to get a favorable image or build a favorable, a positive relationship with the people within the community? 
that is outside what the founder or the executive person you know does. So those are some of the things if you see because it's actually a whole gamut of there's like a whole lot of things that can be done depending mm. on the type of business and the audience or the markets that you serve. However, you need to be strategic about it. Understand whom your business serves and then think of tactical ideas and things that you can do to build relationships with them. The business itself needs to so see it as another person. Deal with the mm. brand. Oh, this is a person. What are the things? How should the brand communicate? What are the things that you should do to engage with this audience? While the personal brand of the founder exists on its own, such that if there is an attack, maybe like a court case or mm-hmm. some sort of scandal that is, in some cases, is not founded. It could just be an attack from the competition, you know, mm-hmm. and it hits you really badly. But while you're dealing with the issue and managing crisis for the personal brand, the brand itself corporate brand is not affected so i think there were a few examples like that i think i'll try and before the end of this session where the brand itself was having issues for in the stock market like the personality mm. of the brand was having you know it had maybe like one or two court cases and stuff like that but in the stock market itself the brand was doing very well because is it saying what it says it will do like is it mm. serving the need is the brand still serving the need of the person it's just that in some cases, too, and that's why it's very difficult, the values that the business holds, the business leader needs to try at some point, or whoever it is that you put as the front-facing person needs mm-hmm. to sort of show those values. So you cannot say that you're against gender-based violence as a brand, against violence against women, right? And then your leader goes and does something that is evidently contrary to that. That will mm-hmm. then, in that case, when it comes to values, there's nothing the PR person can. If it's evident that, oh, this person did this. And mm-hmm. one way or the other, people might probably boycott your brand because one of the things that PR does is PR thrives on integrity. You can't say, this is what I do, and then, or this is what I believe in, and then go turn around and do the other thing. And that's why I was saying that create, individualize all of the various contributors. What are the options? You know, who are the people? Who are the various contributors? Let's try and find. It's just that it's very difficult to get to find a Nigerian. It's really, and I think that's, I was going to ask you, you know, it's really, really difficult to find Nigerian family brands that have transcended generations yeah. you know, and stuff like that. But I want to give. We have a few, Dan Tata, Folawios. Apart from that generation, V. Oh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Aliko obviously took like his business, he took his values and from his uncle. Mm-hmm. See what he's done with, you know, that. I'm thinking as well that, so let me give an example. So for instance, let's look at maybe an Adenoga and what is happening now. So we have mm-hmm. him, the chairman of the brand. And then mm-hmm. what I see is his daughter is also building a brand around her. Oh, yeah. So seeing her values. Just her values, her skills, her potential, capabilities, what she too can turn, what she can also build out of something. I think that, and then, although they still need to do more work, and it really doesn't have to be limited to her. It could be some other family member within the organization who also shares some similar business values, who is driven, who has the capacity to grow things from nothing. Mm. stories around it such that if one leg is having issues 
we have other story blocks that we can rely on. After all, this person is in the arms of leadership and this person is someone mm. of integrity. This person is until that person clears his, his name, right? And mm. then the values of the business as well, you don't deviate from it. Mm. The business is still mm. doing all it can to ensure that the things that it promises the audience or the market that it serves, it is fulfilling it. You know, mm. So that's basically... I really believe in individualizing them. It's really risky to have your brand woven around one person. Mm. You said so much, and I've learned so much. Like you said, PR is really building relationships. And I've never, ever thought about it in that way. And I don't think many people think about it in that way. And I think that's why they think it's just when you want to get on TV, when you want to get to the press. And then you also said it thrives on integrity. So you can't espouse one thing and then be living out another thing. Because people just, they go on your social media and they're like, this is just, yeah, this is just audio. Like, this is not the real brand. This is not the real person or this is not even, I've interacted with this person's company before and this is not, wasn't how it was, right? So those are really, really important points. And then you give the example of Bella Adenuga and her personal brand and the benefit that it's bringing to the family business, but also the benefit that it's bringing to her. Should she choose to venture out on her own and do her own thing completely, she has goodwill capitalized on based on a lot of the yeah, brand building that she's done. It remains because that's one of the biggest fears family-owned businesses. We, we built this. So my grandfather started this maybe 10 years ago, started, you know, there's that story. There is that startup story. Mm. And then he started this. He built it on integrity. He built it on his own sweat. He multiplied from, you know, starting with one hectare or one acre of land. And now we have this huge industry, manufacturing, and all that story. And you want to be able to pass that legacy on, mm. you know, for generations on so regardless of what they eventually then, maybe the kids go on to do, the children or cousins and extended mm-hmm. family go on to do something else. The mm-hmm. legacy in this family, whatever the brand name is or whatever the name is, we are known to be hard workers. We are known to be mm-hmm. integrity. We are known to be stand-up, respected persons within the society. So much is getting in my mind. I think a lot of family businesses really shy away from PR and like to remain behind the scenes. And this climb, if you come forward, quite often you can, you're vulnerable to attack, right? It doesn't take much for someone to allege something that's completely scandalous, that has no bearing on the truth at all. And so people just kind of want to just hide behind the scenes. So in such instances where people... Uh, have reputational attacks, are there steps they can take to help with their image rebuilding and brand building? The first step really is taking stock. The Mm. things that people have said, the things that are damning to your reputation, what exactly is true and which one is incorrect. Mm. The ones that are true, you need to introspect and find a way to because you then need to put an idea put an end to it. And mm-hmm. then one thing I always advise, even though it's always very difficult, take ownership. There are people who have made, because at the end of the year, only human, right? If it's so, now we're talking about maybe a personal scandal or something. Take yeah. Come out and 
admit you're wrong. Mm-hmm. So people always, whether you like it or not, showing your vulnerability, oh, yeah. you know, showing as well the fact that you're willing to change always mm-hmm. in most mm-hmm. cases, except, I don't know, maybe some, <laughs> some type of Nigerians do, <laughs> but in most cases will elicit, you get empathy from mm-hmm. people public the moment you start to shy away and then think that okay i can launder the image two things hmm. you have you want to launder an image that you have not done anything to correct hmm. that you have also not admitted that hmm. you did anything wrong but you now want to start selling stories of other good things that are obviously not within your value so hmm. the first is first is to retrace your steps and then try to identify your value Understand the areas where you fall short. Come out and admit if you need to admit. Then also show the steps that you're taking. Mm. Correct that mm. in. You mm. know, the steps you're taking. If it's something around, so for instance, if uh, let's think of what is the wildest, craziest, okay, you hit someone. Mm-hmm. You hit someone, which is obviously maybe in the you know, not good judgment of character. Because mm-hmm. at that point in time, as a leader, there are other options. There are things that you could do. But then if it's something that you do occasionally, like if things happen within the office and then this has become your reputation, in the first mm-hmm. place, the question is, is that right? Mm-hmm. If it's not, you can pull back and then try to correct it. But imagine coming out to say, this is something you have realized is a weakness. And then you will, these are the things that you've done to put in place to ensure it never happens again. You're being transparent. you know. Mm-hmm. So transparency taking ownership mm. even in some cases when it's actually not your fault mm. but as long as that scandal is existing you could actually come out that see you people my target audience my market my customers you are right in as much as we share a different opinion on this matter or this is not how it happened these are the things that we are doing now we will put this in place we will have someone who attends to calls who does this who does that to ensure that this never happens again because at the end of the day what we want is for business to continue for us and for you to be satisfied as mm-hmm. our customers so mm-hmm. building mutually beneficial relationships between the business and then the stakeholders as well which includes the target audience so that's mm-hmm. in itself is like a reputation management in time of crisis mm-hmm. we take stock first when we understand what we're dealing with then we can then proceed to understand how we will quench the fire but one thing that public relations will never do is it won't thrive on something that is not true mm-hmm. back to that integrity again mm-hmm. there is something called spin spinning spinning isn't pr spinning is something has happened and you want to then weave a story out of it or take mm. it to another direction just to probably distract the people from the essence or from the matter at hand that's completely different Public relations will pull you to the table to have a conversation and deal with the issue. In some cases, however, there is a role of silence. There is a role of taking action. Mm. It really Mm. depends on the issue. Mm. Very interesting. And just thinking about 2020 has been a year where we've used technology more than ever. And What are your thoughts on the role technology can play in driving transformation in family businesses? It is immense. I think that family businesses at this stage right now rely on technology to transform, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. to transform from one phase to the next phase. 
that's one of the key things I see is consolidating growth, so to speak. I think I give an example of the son, this guy, the guy who started uh, Mont Blanc, LV, the luxury brands, the group of yes. He started out in his dad's company, his father's company, which was mm-hmm. a tobacco company. And then he started a luxury brand, like starting out a luxury line from all of that. And look where he is today. He's a billionaire in dollars. He's, I, I don't mm-hmm. know, I'm sure it's amongst top 100, all of that. He's built several brands after that. I see technology playing a role of maybe backward or forward integration mm. where the business is at. But then you can use technology to enhance whatever it is that they're doing to probably make them more efficient. Mm. Because you find some businesses doing well, they have, quote unquote, they have a large market, but profit is low because mm. maybe the, from the backward integration, the process of sourcing materials, depending on what stage the business is, maybe if it's which stage in manufacturing it plays, it might not be efficient, but technology will help. So for instance, if you're in the manufacturing, technology can help in getting maybe things, maybe the firm itself can do some backward integration, setting up a smarter and more efficient way of getting resources for it to manufacture. And then it can be competitive in terms of price, pricing with amongst its competitors within the uh, within the sector, it can also help in transforming. It could be the retail process or the distribution process. Instead of, I think earlier, was it earlier this year or last year that Forever 21 was shutting down quite a number of stores? Yeah, yeah, I think it was this year. A lot. Mm. Because for a long time, the brand relied in-store shopping. Whereas other brands, majority of the brands here in America, people were shopping online. People had moved fast going into the store to shop. So you're incurring costs on, what's the word now? You're incurring maintenance costs, operational costs that you need it to do if you just improve your digital and your tech business process. So for instance, maybe build an app and work on the interface to allow people to be comfortable with shopping online. Because at that point in time, you probably just feel that, okay, people still need to test the direct. What are the issues that people will go through that will make them want to come into the store? How can we use technology to enhance the digital or mobile apps to make sure, enhance that experience for people? So mm-hmm. technology will really help you to think through the ways customers interact with your brand or your product or service and then mm-hmm. find a way to... Technology just exists to make life, <laughs> make our lives easier. easier. <laughs> <laughs> it is immense. As long as people embrace, as long as next family businesses embrace technology, don't mm-hmm. see it like okay, what exactly are they doing? I don't understand it. Yes, you might not understand it, but allow those who understand it, bring them to the table, have conversations with them and let them show you a path forward that shows how this technology can consolidate the work that you're doing so far. You know, mm-hmm. I've been in the state for a couple of weeks now and it's something else entirely. It's almost people literally are not, including food, including groceries, you literally can buy anything online. Online. <laughs> We like it or not that it's going to be the future. It's just that for places like Nigeria, the infrastructure is still mm-hmm. work in progress. Work in progress. <laughs> internet, you know, but if you're a business within the supply chain, you know, family-owned business, you probably existed for 20, 30 years mm-hmm. in the agri space, maybe agri manufacturing space. You want to start to think of what the future will look like using mm-hmm technology in five years, 10 years, and you want to start to position for that now. Mm-hmm. You want to, to happen and then 
you're scrambling and moving up and down. Another example <laughs> was another unique example. I recall during the lockdown in Lagos when uh, churches, we could not shut down and we couldn't go to churches. There were churches that people had been calling on to embrace technology, mm. but they hadn't. And at the point where it seemed like, okay, we could no longer gather in mass, the ones that had embraced social media, embraced technology, it was easy. It wasn't like... It was very easy. Mm-hmm. You just woke up one morning and just continued what they were doing. And then mm. it was easy to improve on it. So that's the way family-owned businesses need to embrace technology. They see technology as a pathway forward into the future. Excellent. Excellent. My last question for you. Are you excited about the future and what do you see in the horizon for yourself and or your agency? Honestly, I'm excited about the future. I see a business environment that is enabled. You know, my only fear, Nike, is infrastructure. The rates mm-hmm. which infrastructure to support technology that can drive economic growth, the rate as which is growing in Nigeria is significant. Mm. And we don't have any laid out plan. So for instance, we have a minister of digital IT and ICT or something. As a country, we don't have that. I mean, if you have seen, you probably will share with me the vision for the next 10 years, 20 years for technology. I haven't seen it. So the private sector, they're doing a lot. Business owners are doing a lot, trying Mm. to embrace technology and all of that. But imagine a situation where people in the outskirts can access better internet, Mm. can use technology, because you have a waiting market, untapped market, untapped audience. Lagos and the cities are not the place. There's still a lot that, you know, the business segment can do, taking advantage of our population. So I'm Mm. hoping that maybe with government and public and private partnerships, technology can really do the work that it's meant to do in Mm. this environment in Africa. Incredible, incredible. And if anyone wants to reach you, how best can they get hold of you? Okay. So basically, you can send me an email, thestrategists at philia.com or buzz. We have this email that everyone easily remembers and (laughs) I (laughs) have access to it and then lead uh, key team members in the firm have access to it buzz b-u-z-z at filion.com mm-hmm. and reachable via mobile on plus two three four eight one eight five seven nine six three zero five you know awesome. you know, number. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes to your emails and the phone number that you want to be reached on. Thank you so much. That was so insightful. I learned so much. I must have been quite naive about PR. (laughs) I didn't realize it was really just relationships. When you said that, something just clicked in my head. I'm like, hmm. And that's what business is all about. Business is literally just about relationship. And you also brought up a very important point about integrity as a value. PR thrives on integrity. I think that's a really important thing to remind ourselves. So thank you so much. I had a lot of fun speaking to you. Yes, yes. Thank you. I had a good time as well. Thanks for this. And I think um, you need to do more of this. Maybe (laughs) how often do you do this? Weekly? Weekly, yes. Okay, okay. So you need to do more to take the news to more people, you know, take the podcast out to more people. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I really, really love that episode. 
because I think this is an area that's often neglected by family businesses. Quite often, family businesses can be quite shy, want to stay behind the scenes, don't like to put themselves out there. So the very notion of corporate communications, PR, seems quite strange to family businesses. But the truth is that in this 21st century world, how we communicate our value sets as companies is really important. And the best companies are able to actually communicate that they are aligned with creating a better world. With this rise of 21st century conscious capitalism, it's important that we do communicate with our wider stakeholders. It's not just about the shareholders. We really have to think about the ecosystem. And so communication and PR is so critical to that. So I'd encourage you to get in touch with Timmy. She's really very smart, very creative and a lovely lady to spend time with. So thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in this week. As always, please share the love. Take good care and God bless.